our congregation has been going through the book of Revelation. And uh, instead of doing an Easter text this morning, I thought, well, Let's stick with Revelation. We're going to have a Revelation text, but there's a lot of connections with the the resurrection of Jesus and the book of Revelation, as we have seen, as we will continue to see this morning. I wanted to begin the lesson with a Christmas story. Seems like an appropriate thing to do on Easter Sunday, right? Let's have us a little Christmas story. But what we'll find out is that this isn't just a Christmas story. It's also an Easter story. And the story I'm referring to is the story of the Grinch who stole Christmas. Give me a little head nod if you know about the Grinch. I bet you're familiar with that story. So think about the end of that book slash TV movie where the Grinch steals every, like literally every single thing from the Who's down in Whoville. He packs it up into a big bag. He takes it on his Santa Claus sleigh and he goes back up to the top of Mount Crumpet and he listens. Because he's such a twisted fellow, what he wants to hear are the cries and the wails of the Who's, this group of people that he completely hates. And he just wants to get pleasure from hearing them suffer. But if you remember the story, as he listens, he doesn't hear crying and wailing. What does he hear instead? Singing. The sound wasn't sad. Why, the sound sounded glad. Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or the other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? The Who's celebrating in the midst of suffering singing during a time of loss, having endured the full force of an evil enemy and come out on the other side singing and declaring a victory. Well, that's the story of the Who's, but that's also the story of Easter. But unlike the Who's, this is not just something that you read in a children's storybook. There are Christians today from every nation, tribe, people, and language who are celebrating Easter during a time of suffering. There are Ukrainian refugees who are celebrating Easter in shelters and temporary homes. There are Russian soldiers who are celebrating Easter in war zones, maybe afraid that if they don't follow orders, something will happen to them or their families. There are Christian ministers who are imprisoned in China and North Korea and Eritrea and Iran, and they are celebrating Easter behind bars, also in Australia. There are Christians in the United States who are celebrating Easter even though they're experiencing physical or emotional or relational brokenness. They are all celebrating Jesus' victory over sin and death. And any honest observer standing by might ask, along with the Grinch, how could it be so? Victory over sin and death? Where? When did that happen? Show me the final victory over sin. Because the world that I live in, I still see a lot of that kind of stuff. I have a three-year-old daughter named Lucy. (laughs) I have a lot of kids, so, you know. She's, I think that's right, Lucy. We play Connect Four. Sometimes She loves to play Connect Four, but the way she plays is just to take all of the red checkers, red is her favorite color, she jams them all into the slots, she doesn't even take turns, she jams them all in, and then when she's done, she says, I win. 
and I go, what planet do you live on? That's not how you win at Connect Four. That's not how the game works. Maybe she needs to update her definition of the word win or victory. Or maybe I do. Maybe we all do. Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus on the third day. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's not a made-up story like the Grinch and the Who's, but it's an actual one-time historical event that has puzzled and shocked and delighted and inspired and challenged people and the entire world ever since it happened. Jesus was dead, no mistake in it, but he became alive again. But here's the thing, it doesn't just stop with being dead and then being alive. You know, he ate some fish, he walked along the Sea of Galilee. Yes, that is true, but there's more to the resurrection of Jesus. He was raised up to the right hand of God. He was exalted to the highest place. And as we've been studying Revelation, Tri-Valley people nod so that our guests know that I'm not making this up. That's what we studied last week in Revelation 4 and 5, is the throne of God and the Lamb who is co-equal with God on his throne. And we remember we, see, we saw the, the scroll of God and the seven seals and the Lamb of God is worthy to open the seven seals because he is the one who died. He gave his life. And in doing so, he will conquer evil. He will vindicate the suffering servants of the Lord. The Christian martyrs will not have given their lives in vain. But the question that we keep coming back to is when? That is the big question for all of Revelation. When? When does this happen? When will these things transpire? Is it soon? Is it a long way off? Will a lot of things have to happen before we get to the, the when of it all? And if you've been reading Revelation, you know that you can get very easily caught up in the when question of Revelation. But even if you haven't been reading Revelation, you still can understand the when question. The prayers that we lift up before God. How long, O oh Lord? When will this suffering stop? When will this person who's been on our prayer list for weeks and weeks and weeks find relief for their suffering? When will we stop seeing these atrocious evil acts in our world? When will we stop having evil atrocious thoughts in our own hearts and making violence in our own relationships? When and how long, O oh Lord, have you forgotten us? We cry out with the lament psalms. Have you forgotten us? Will you forget us forever? If Revelation 5 shows us that Christ is victorious, that his kingdom is here, that his victory has been accomplished, then what you would expect from Revelation 6 is a dessert menu, right? The reception event, course of events, the celebration. But you don't get that. Do you know what you get? In Revelation 6, you get horses. Horses. If you lived in the ancient world, you know that oxen were the animals that were used for work and farming. Donkeys were the animals you would use for traveling, but horses, horses were the animals you used for war. Horses are war animals. And Revelation 6 begins with four horses. And they bring conquest. And they bring fighting and killing. They bring competition, exploitation, and injustice in the marketplace. And they bring sickness and pestilence and famine and death. 
So not a dessert menu after all. <laughs> this is pretty bleak. You might have heard of these four horses and the four horsemen, maybe the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's the kind of thing that you see in stories and in, in movies. And if you're familiar with them, you know that we expect them to come at the very end. Like the, the last 10 minutes of all things is like you get these horses and these riders and you go, oh, yep, this must be the end. There's the four horsemen. But we know in the world that we live in that we don't have to wait for the end. We don't have to say, how long, O Lord, until we see the four horsemen of war? We see them all around us. They're already here, and they've been here for quite a while. That's the first four seals in Revelation 6. The fifth seal is open, and you get the voices of Christian martyrs crying out their own prayer of lament. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. The sixth seal is open, and then you get this huge earthquake, and it shakes up everything and everyone and everyone, no matter how rich or poor, well-off, influential, or non-essential, every single person cries out, who can possibly withstand the wrath of the Lamb of God? And they, you hear them crying out to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us. We want you to fall on us so that we can be sheltered from the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb, shelter us, rocks and mountains. Their question rings out, who can possibly stand? And then Revelation 7, the text we're going to look at today, answers that question. Who can stand? Well, watch this. Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, And then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? And I answered, well, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night 
in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So, in contrast to those who cry out, shelter us from the Lamb, the faithful witnesses of the resurrected Jesus declare the Lamb is our shelter. And there's a lot of paradoxes in this text. One of them is that they say the Lamb is our shepherd. Now think about that for a second. The Lamb is usually not the shepherd. It's the complete opposite. In another interesting paradox, they have somehow made their robes white by washing them in the blood of the lamb. That's not usually how I get my clothes white. And they put their trust not in the riders of the horses of war, but in the Christ who laid down his own life. They put their trust in the most interesting paradox of all, that Jesus conquered death by dying. Remember in the passage we heard earlier, the women came back and reported, Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty, it's not what we thought. And their words seemed like nonsense to them. John sees this scene and he says, who are these people? And he finds out that these are the ones with the odd and yet inspiring definition of the word victory. They are the who's down in Whoville who have experienced devastating loss and still choose to lift up a celebration song. They are the great multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language who say salvation belongs to our God and to his son, Jesus Christ. They are the Christians in Ukraine and Russia and China and North Korea and Eritrea and Australia and right here. They are the ones who can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. Earlier in chapter 7, you can go read this on your own time, <laughs> they're called the sealed ones. They're sealed with some kind of visible mark on their forehead. And this is an image that would make sense. And if you, LTC, when was the last time you guys did Exodus? How many years has it been? Anybody know? Yeah, hey, I know you did Revelation too uh, a while back. But if you know the Exodus story, we know that the, the Passover meal and the time when Jesus was crucified was during the Passover. And the Passover was a Jewish celebration of the time when God ushered his people out of Egyptian captivity. There were all these plagues. Nod your head if you remember the plagues. Okay, again, I'm not making this up. And they said there's going to be uh, a death in every home. But God told his people, I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it on the doorposts of your house. If you've never heard this before, I know this sounds weird, but those of you who know the story, you know this is all connected. In the same way, Christians are sheltered and sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ that he freely gave. And the Apostle Paul writes in several places about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a guarantee of our salvation. It's a placeholder for the day of redemption that we long for and look forward to. And that's part of why the resurrection of Jesus is such good news for those who follow the Lamb. Christ will shelter us. Christ will shepherd us. He will hold us, redeem us, and he will usher us into eternal life. Yay! Chocolate bunnies! If I was John, I would want to ask this question. Why did you go 
from showing me the risen Jesus, the Lamb of God on his throne, being worshipped, seeming like he is completely in charge and in control of everything, to then immediately showing me all these horrible evils in the world. Famine and greed and injustice and fighting and death. They're riding around on these horses of war and they're acting like they own the place. I thought this was supposed to be the kingdom of God. I thought the kingdom of God had come. And maybe you wonder that too. But the answer that we might have gotten, if we got to ask that question, would be, look closer. Those horses and the horsemen, they're not reigning, they're running. They are scattering. They are, they know that their time has come and they are running scared. Christ truly is on the throne and their days are numbered. It reminds me of the game hide and seek. Remember playing hide and seek? Somebody closes their eyes and they go, one, two, three, and then what does everybody else do? They, they dash around and they, they, they realize the count is on. They, they only have so much time before they have to go and hide and they know that they're going to get caught. They know that they're going to get found out. That's what it's like when the seals on the scroll of God's justice are opened. One, two, three, four. The horses of war scatter. They scramble. They tremble at the coming power of the fury of God who is restoring and reclaiming his creation. Think about what an encouraging message that would be for John's seven churches living under Roman oppression in the late first century. Think about a church we read about a few weeks ago, like Pergamum, who refused to renounce their faith in the risen Jesus, even when they saw their friend Antipas killed for doing the same. You believe in Jesus? Yes, I do. Okay. We're going to take you in. We're going to end your life. This was the reality that they had to face. This was a message of encouragement. You can, even in this environment, you can take shelter in the Lamb of God. You can still celebrate even in the midst of suffering. That's true for us today as well. But I didn't answer the question, did I? That nagging when question doesn't go away. When are we going to see this? When will we finally see evil destroyed? When will the faithful be vindicated? And when will God wipe away every tear from every eye? And when will all the sad things come untrue? I'll give you two answers. And you're not going to like either one of them. Answer number one, I'm not sure. I'm really not. Some people, in an attempt to become more comfortable and feel more safe in a chaotic world. That's what they do with Revelation, is they try to make themselves more and more sure of when this is going to happen. Oh, I see that maybe this means this, and uh, the time is coming, and, and we try to get a grasp on that. But you don't really see the seven churches getting those answers, and I don't think we're going to get those answers either. I think the closest that we can come is the second answer to the question, and it's just as frustrating. Ready? Soon. That's what we hear in Revelation. Jesus says it. John writes it. It's, it shows up again and again as you read Revelation. I am coming soon. But that's really vague. That's not specific enough for us. Let's be honest. This letter is 19... I'll say it like this. This letter is 1,900 years old. And we're still hearing him say, soon. 
This will blow your mind a little bit too. Maybe 1,900 years from now, there will be Christians hearing this and going, oh, okay, soon. Hope so. When it's something important, soon is never soon enough. You can ask my kids. <laughs> soon. Ah, if it's not now, it's not a great answer. But let me, I'll give you a third answer. It's not an answer, it's more of a question for the when question. And the question is this. Will you choose to sing anyway? Praise team, why don't you come back up here and prepare us for this. Will you sing anyway? Will you choose to sing even before the Grinch brings back all your stuff? Will you sing even if the Grinch never brings back any of your stuff? Will you sing? Will you join in the celebration? Knowing what you know about Jesus, knowing that you can trust him, knowing that he is faithful to his promises, will you sing anyway? Will you pray the prayer of trust? Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done right here, right now on earth as it is done perfectly in heaven. I want to invite you now to stand. This is the invitation. Will you sing anyway? Even while the four horsemen run rampant around us, I want you to declare in the face of evil that God's kingdom is coming. And because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, it is already here. Amen. We declare that the kingdom of God is here.